The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. DarkImaginings.com Welcome, boys and ghouls. It's time once again to kick open the old mausoleum door and see what climbs out. Clawing his way out of a fetid grave is Drew, a.k.a. Rabid Badger. Pull up a slab with Jim Millspaw in his award-winning role as the Professor of Torture, Meathook Jim. Jason Storm is here as fan favorite, gothic commentator, Storm. Do you smell something burning? It must be Salem's favorite old crone, Jonna Summers. <laughs> now light a torch, grab your pitchfork, and make like a bunch of terrified villagers. You found another episode of The Big Scary Show! <laughs> As we move through the month of May and the ever-increasing temperatures, let The Big Scary Show Episode 289 keep you cool with all the latest news, information, and segments to help pass the time as we head deeper into the build and hiring season. There are haunts out there still putting on events in May and June, so get out and support your local haunts. Storm may be ranting about the Haunted Mansion movie in a haunt minute. Meet Hook Jim talks about hulks in another installment of Between the Corpses. No, not the big green guy. Badger reads the latest in Deadline News, and the old crone reflects on her 50th episode of Ask the Old Crone. Also, the voice from hell, Dick Terhune, returns with his marketing ward. And do we have a gruesome giveaway for the month of May? Stay tuned to find out. The Roundtable of Terror invites several home haunters to have a seat and discuss their home haunts. What makes their home haunts so special is that each owner works with a local charity to give back to the community. One of the owners is just starting out and looking for a local charity to work with, and a lot of good advice is doled out. If you've ever wanted your home haunt or yard display to partner with a charity but didn't know how to do it, stick around and take a listen. We hit the body but you will become an accomplice just by listening to The Big Scary Show! What happens to Nancy and Sheila in the Mansion of the Doomed is so horrifying, we can't even hint at it on this radio station. Mansion of the Doomed is so shocking, it will never appear on television. Some films you see, some you feel. You'll feel... Mansion of the Doomed. You'll never forget Mansion of the Doomed. Hi, my name is David Jones with Haunt at the Roxbury here in Ypsilanti, Michigan, and you are listening to The Big Scary Show. 
Looking to step up your costume? CFX products perform in every environment. Film, haunted attractions, stage shows, theme parks, cosplay, and good old-fashioned Halloween. Created for realism and comfort from the number one company leading the industry for over 16 years, a CFX silicone mask isn't finished until you put it on. Whatever your needs, CFX has you covered with silicone. And once you put it on, you too will agree that a CFX mask will be the most comfortable rubber you'll ever wear. Find your new face today at cfxmasks.com, cfxmasks.com. Crispy Bess, Armandium, the monster creature feature theme on The Big Scary Show. Greetings, listeners, and welcome. Watch out. Don't trip over that torso. It's time for Between the Corpses. Greetings, listeners. Meat Hook Jim here. On this episode of Between the Corpses, we continue our journey down torture and execution with Hulks. And I'm not talking about the big, green, incredible guy. Britain siphoned off some of her most irksome citizens to America by way of transportation. Typically, those transported had won a reprieve from the death sentence or were considered too inconsequential to hang. When America no longer accepted the flotsam of British society after 1775, the government found itself with large numbers of convicts on its hands. The following year, a temporary solution was agreed for the more severe and effectual punishment of atrocious and daring offenders, that of the Hulks. Today, that name is symbolic of all that was squalid in the system of punishments in Britain 
in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. Hulks were decrepit warships moored first on the River Thames at Woolwich, London, and later at Chatham, Portsmouth, Gosport, Plymouth, and Deptford. The ships had been brought by Duncan Campbell, the entrepreneur charged with operating the hulks to be used as prisoner accommodation. Campbell received 38 pounds per year for every prisoner from the government. From this he paid guards and took a tidy profit. He reinvested little of the money in the ship so the living conditions were cramped and, un and unsanitary. Prisoners sentenced to transportation found themselves on hulks as they awaited a passage or were held there for a prescribed number of years as their sentence. Two brothers, aged 11 and 9, were sent to the prison hulk Eurialis in Chatham to await transportation for taking a chain out of a cart. The elder boy died. The fate of the other is unknown. By day, the convicts overtook hard labor like building docks or raising gravel from riverbeds. This satisfied one lobby, which had long thought that convict labor should directly benefit Britain rather than her colonies. From the prisoners' point of view, at least they were outside enjoying fresh air. At night, the hatches were battened down with the men, women, and children in the bowels of the creaking ships. Guards admitted they rarely entered prisoner quarters after dark, and then only in armed parties. Alcohol-fueled violence was largely left to erupt undisturbed. Disease was rife, including gall fever and cholera. Few doctors could be tempted aboard to tend the sick. The death rate was estimated at one in four. Reformer John Howard inspected the Hulk Justitia in 1776. Many convicts had no shirts, some no waistcoats some no stockings and some no shoes. He witnessed those about to die and many that yearned for death as a release. Although the ships were secure, prisoners sometimes escaped and caused havoc in the densely populated ports where the hulks were moored. It became apparent that hardened criminals aboard the hulks were educating the young in enterprising methods of crime. Yet, although the drawbacks were numerous, the Hulks survived for some 80 years. By 1787, there were 2,000 convicts aboard them. After visiting a Hulk at Chatham in 1828 to see her husband, whose crime is not recorded, a woman asked a vicar to intercede and asked the Home Secretary to secure his freedom. I found him in great distress drawing timber on a cart like a horse. He thinks it's a very hard case that he is thus compelled to suffer when he has done nothing but spoken the truth in defense of the laws of the nation. There is no law for a poor man. Oh. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, being stuck in a decrepit warship doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. Catch you on the next episode. Good evening. 
My name is Deadfield, the zombie butler. Visit me and all my friends here at vfxcreates.com and check out the new Putrid Pete, the zombie puppet. We have several new products that you might want to see. <laughs> see you soon at vfxcreates.com. Music by Midnight Syndicate. Hi, my name is Steve Stelton from Louisville, Kentucky at Dark Corners Manor. You are listening to The Big Scary Show. Greetings, mortals and others. I'm Dick Terhune, the voice from hell. Walk with me into the marketing morgue. Halfway to Halloween, my friends. Halfway to Halloween. From this moment forward and forever after, I want to burn six words into your brain. Marketing is everything. Everything is marketing. Pretty straightforward, right? But what exactly do we mean when we think of marketing? I think marketing is best defined as the techniques you use to attract and persuade a specific audience. Advertising is one of those techniques and should be a major component of your marketing plan. Your social media presence is one of those techniques and should also be a major part of your plan. So, if you've got all that buttoned up, you're good to go, right? Oh, if you think so, you are leaving money on the table. What are the six words? Say them with me. Marketing is everything. Everything is marketing. Attracting and persuading someone to punch that buy tickets now button is really just the start of their experience. What happens when they arrive at your attraction? Do you have an atmosphere-setting entrance with your name on it? Is your parking area well-lit, maintained, and adequately staffed? How is your queue organized? Do you use timed ticketing to keep the line manageable and running smoothly, especially on the busiest nights? And do you offer a fast pass upgrade on site? Do you have a midway with games, live entertainment, concessions, merch? And if you are selling those add-ons, how do you do it? Card, cash, pay with your phone? How do you let your guests know the rules, like no running, no touching, etc.? Do they hear a voiceover while they're in line, or, or, or maybe the rules are on a screen or a sign? Or do you have an actor or animatronic in your front room that tells them the rules and sets them up for the rest of their evening? What happens next, between front room and the end, I don't even have to talk about. That's the part that you're mostly focused on, and it's unique to your attraction. But after the end, they're back outside, hearts pounding, laughing, totally pumped. Where does all that energy and momentum go next? Again, concessions, merch, games. Maybe you offer a bounce-back pass so they can go through again. And when your happy customers finally decide that it is time to leave, can they get back to their cars safely and easily with plenty of personnel to guide them? And ask them things like, did you guys have a great time? You gonna tell all your friends about us? Make sure to use hashtag name of haunted attraction when you post those photos. Yeah, it's a lot, and that's just scratching the surface. But every single bit of it is your marketing. 
Don't just sell them one ticket this October. Sell them a ticket for next October, which you will do if you always remember marketing is everything. Everything is marketing. In future episodes, we'll rip further into the guts of haunt advertising and probe the most effective and creative ways you can market and promote your haunted attraction. Got a question? You can message me at Voice From Hell on Facebook. I'm Dick Terhune. Join me next time here in the Marketing Morgue, where there's always room for one more. Spectral Illusions is a digital production studio creating video effects for your home or pro haunt. They carry over 30 stock videos ready for immediate download, as well as USB drives preloaded with multiple effects. In partnership with AAXA Technologies, they now carry projectors preloaded with multiple effects. And now Big Scary Show listeners can get 15% off downloads, USBs, and screens with code BIGSCARY15. Projectors not included. Visit SpectralIllusions.com and add some life to your haunt. That's SpectralIllusions.com. Hello, everyone. This is Drew Badger. This is Deadline News for episode 289. And unfortunately, we're going to start off with some sad news from Barrett's Haunted Mansion in Abington, Massachusetts. We have just learned that a former actor at Barrett's Haunted Mansion, Jonathan Ryder, has passed away after a battle with cancer at the all-too-young age of 39. He was here for our 2019 season. He would drive two hours one way to be a part of the Barrett's family. From his interview to acting, Jonathan was enthusiastic and always asked questions on how to improve. We could always count on him to not only be in his spot, but early at the pre-haunt meeting, eagerly anticipating opening. He stood out for all the right reasons throughout his time with us. He leaves behind a wife, a stepdaughter, and many, many friends. The Big Scary Show sends its deepest condolences to the family and friends of Jonathan Ryder and Barrett's Haunted Mansion, and offers up this moment of silence. On a lighter note, we have some hiring news from Thunderbird Farms in Pine Island, New York. If you're looking for a part-time, fun, seasonal job, look no further than Thunderbird Farms. The Boo Barn and Haunted Trails will be happening again starting September 23rd at Thunderbird Farms. We are looking for reliable, creative, talented, and committed scare actors to join our team. Since this is for a limited time, you must be able to commit to all 10 days that we're open, or at least notified of days at time of interview that there may be a hardship so we can get proper coverage in advance. You must be at least 16 years old and have reliable transportation. You must bring your own costume if you're a scare actor. We do not supply one, and type of character will be determined at the interview. You must be flexible, dependable, this is extremely important to our team, again, you must be able to commit for all 10 days, and pay is determined by position and experience to be discussed at the interview. Please direct message our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Thunderbird Farms LLC, or email us at 
thunderbirdfarmsllc at gmail.com to get more details. We have this from the Halls of Madness in Paris, Illinois. The nights are creeping up on us, so join us at Slaughter Farm Memorial Day weekend, Friday the 26th and Saturday the 27th from 8 to midnight. It's two nights of mid-season frights. Bring your friends and hang out on the midway. The Slaughter Farm is awakening sooner than you think. Get tickets and more information at hallsofmadness.com. We have this news from the Erebus Factory of Terror in Erie, Pennsylvania. The time is near for some fear. Join us for our second annual Mid-Year Fest. We can't wait until Halloween, so we're opening the haunt for this special event just for two days. Mid-Year Fear is open Friday and Saturday, the 26th and 27th of May from 7 p.m. until midnight. Come celebrate Memorial Day weekend during the day and get your fright all night. Get more information and tickets at eeriebiss, that's eeriebyss.com. Have a little convention news with this update from Horror Hound Weekend coming to Indianapolis. Horror Hound Weekend returns to Indianapolis August 18th through the 20th at the Indiana Convention Center. And we're happy to announce that William Cat from House, Carey, the Greatest American Hero, and many others is set to attend this exciting event's big return to Indiana. Discounted pre-sale tickets for Horror Hound Weekend are available now at horrorhoundweekend.com. We have this news from the Eloise Asylum in Westland, Michigan. The Slashers take over Eloise Asylum for one night only, June 3rd. Summer Slash is a one-night experience at the Asylum. Your favorite movie slashers invade Eloise Asylum to hunt down you and your friends. Summer Slash is hosted by the real Jason Voorhees, a.k.a. actor C.J. Graham, from Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. Come meet C.J. Graham, get your tickets, and get scared. Get more information at EloiseAsylum.com. We have a little more hiring news, this time from the Scream Hollow Wicked Halloween Park in Smithville, Texas. Attention all scare enthusiasts. Scream Hollow Wicked Halloween Park is now hiring tractor drivers and actors to bring our haunted attractions to life. Do you love Halloween and enjoy scaring your friends? Join us and be a part of the ultimate Scream team. We're looking for individuals who are dedicated, enthusiastic, and love the thrill of horror. As a tractor driver or volunteer actor, you'll have the opportunity to bring our petrifying park to life and give our guests the fright of their lives. Get more information at ScreamHollow.com slash jobs. We have some more hiring news, this time from the Wetumpka Zombie Experience in Wetumpka, Alabama. I do hope I'm pronouncing that right. Wetumpka Zombie Experience is looking for a few volunteers for our upcoming season. We need creative minds and people who aren't scared of a paintball. We start preparing this summer, so message us if you're interested on our Facebook page. Spots are limited, 
But get more information at facebook.com slash Wetumpka Zombie Experience. And finally, we have this hiring news from Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando, Florida. We are now accepting submissions for haunted house and street performers to perform as scare actors, stilt walkers, and puppeteers for Halloween Horror Nights. Interested candidates must provide availability for all rehearsal dates during the month of August and all Halloween Horror Nights performance dates starting September 1st through Halloween. All sizes and looks are needed. Candidates must be comfortable working in dim or theatrical lighting, fog effects, and in large crowds. Previous experience is not required. Please select your height range when submitting your profile for consideration. Submission deadline is Wednesday, May 31st at midnight Eastern Standard Time. Get more information at auditions.universalorlando.com slash auditions slash 1324. Remember, folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show, email it to us, news at bigscaryshow.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News. <laughs> The stench of death in here is overpowering. Grave Tone Productions. Walking Corpse. On the Big Scary Show. It was dead, but it opened its eyes and tried to move. They're just dead flesh. Body should be disposed of at once.
all persons who die during this crisis, from whatever cause, will come back to life to seek human victims unless their bodies are first disposed of by cremation. to a new dimension of terror? Then let dark imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home, haunt, or crypt. Mm. To see more of our products and services, drop by darkimaginings.com. Let us help you get ahead of your competition. <laughs> And ladies and gentlemen, if you were listening carefully to the last show, you will know that we had a gruesome giveaway for the month of May. We put that out there for any and all people to enter. We got some entries, and let's find out if we have a winner for the month of May. And of course, we could not do the gruesome giveaway without our very fine friends at ScreamlineStudios.com. It may only be May. It may only be halfway to Halloween. But that does not mean you need to not go over to ScreamlineStudios.com right now and check out their line of very cool products. Or if you're lucky, you could enter our contest and possibly be selected as a winner. As I said, we had quite a few entries for the month of May. We randomly selected somebody. We believe we have them on the line. Random caller, what is your name? Where are you located? Uh, my name is Taylor Auger, and I'm located in Wright, Wyoming. Taylor Auger, Wright, 
Wyoming. Wow, I believe this is the very first time we've ever had somebody on the show from the state of Wyoming, so fantastic. We can cross that one off the list. Man, fantastic. Taylor, what do you do up in uh, Wright, Wyoming? I am a electrical maintenance for the school district. Oh, very nice. And I assume you're a big fan of Halloween, so otherwise you probably wouldn't be entering the show. <laughs> and hopefully, if you are the winner, Screamline Studios is going to send you something that will definitely enhance your Halloween. Now, before we find out if you are the winner, I do have to ask you a couple of legal questions. Question number one, have we contacted you in any way, shape, or form other than to tell you when to call in? No. All right. Question number two. Have you tried to bribe us or entice us to select your name through promises of various things? No. All right. Well, Tyler Auger of Wright, Wyoming. Let me see if I can remember the question for the month of May. I believe it was during the Round Table of Terror. We had Leonard Pickle on the show, and he was talking about all the classes and everything that HauntCon had done over the years, and I casually mentioned a fun fact of the day. The very first actor training seminar I taught was during a certain year and a certain place. When was and where was my very first actor training seminar? It was at HotCon in 2011 in Louisville, Kentucky. And that is absolutely right. Uh, we uh, we mentioned on the last show there could have been more than one answer for part of that. I would have accepted either HotCon or Louisville. And of course, 2011, you got both of them. We'll give you some extra credit for that. Congratulations. We want to thank Taylor Auger of Wright, Wyoming, because you are the May Gruesome Giveaway winner. Awesome. Well, Taylor, um, if you'll hang on the line, we'll get some shipping information from you. Let me ask you this. Do you do any kind of a Halloween thing? Do you work for a haunt? Do you do a home haunt yard display or anything like that? Yes, I do a yard display and a little walkthrough for the kids. Our town is only 1,400 people, so. Are, are you that guy in town? I am definitely that guy in town. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> but uh, how many trick-or-treaters last year? I would say about 430. For a town of 1,400, that's pretty darn good. Yep. That That's excellent. Does it have a name, or do you have any kind of like an Instagram or a TikTok page for it where people can check out maybe a walkthrough or otherwise? No, I don't have any social media connected to it, but everyone in town just calls it Cryptid Creations. Well, once again, folks, we want to thank Taylor Auger of Wright, Wyoming for being the May Gruesome Giveaway winner. And of course, we want to thank our good friends at ScreamlineStudios.com for supplying all these great prizes that we give away every single month here on the Big Scary Show. Taylor, once again, congratulations. Thank you. If you didn't win this month, maybe you'll win next month because every month of the year, we do a great gruesome giveaway here on the Big Scary Show. The Roundtable of Terror is very proudly sponsored by HauntPay. Whether it's time ticketing, virtual queue lines, or anything else related to online ticket sales, have Alex and his staff set you up at HauntPay.com.
And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet another episode of the Roundtable of Terror here on the Big Scary Show. A lot of haunts out there are doing halfway to Halloween specials, so hopefully get out there and support your local haunts. And when the season comes around in September and October, please doubly support your home haunters out there, your yard display people, the people who are technically kind of sort of the next generation of haunters. A lot of them start out at home haunters and a lot of them become professional haunters. So we love talking about home haunters and we have an awful lot of home haunters that listen to this show. They get good information mostly. And we just have a lot of fun with them. You know, a couple of them in my area. We hope there's a few in your area. But one thing that the Big Scary Show does is you've known over the years, if you've been listening, we support an awful lot of charity things. We obviously support things like Don't Be a Monster, the anti-bullying campaign out of Colorado, Scares That Care that used to run a convention in Virginia but helps families in need. The West Coast Haunters Convention is a charity convention on the West Coast. Haunters Against Hate, which helps LBGTQ youth and organizations But there's an awful lot of charities that are supported by home haunters. Now, we have talked about charity haunts and we have talked about home haunts, but I don't think we have combined the two. So we put the call out about people who run charity haunts or charity home haunts more specifically. And we had a few people, so we have brought them in to have a seat here at the Round Table of Terror to talk about their home haunts, what they do, how they set them up. I'm assuming most of them are not doing halfway to Halloween stuff because it's a little bit early, but they do support some very good causes. And hopefully you will too. Let's welcome our very special guest on this very special episode. Going up to the Chicago area, we have Michael Peters. He is with Nightmare Haunted House. And I believe the charity that he supports is Shorewood hugs i'm not familiar with it i'm sure we'll find out a bit about it michael how are you doing tonight i'm doing great how are you oh we are fantastic very glad to have you here sir going up a little further north up to ypsilanti michigan we have david jones who has a very cleverly and cool named haunt called haunt at the roxbury up in ypsilanti and he supports a charity called the hope clinic david how are you sir doing fantastic it is great to have you here if that name sounds familiar he was a previous gruesome giveaway winner for those of you who have been listening and are paying attention so remember people do win on the show as david can testify and heading a little further south than that going down to the louisville kentucky area we have steve stelton of dark corners manor He has not been supporting a charity, shame on him, but he is going to this year and he has come on as as somebody who's got a lot of questions, a lot of, you know, advice needed. And we're hoping that these guests will certainly be able to provide and maybe we can even find a charity for him to support. Who knows? We'll find out right after we introduce our normal co-hosts up in the Rhode Island area in the great Northeast. We have Storm. Greetings, where apparently it's um, run your loudest uh, leaf blower and power washer day neighborhood in my neighborhood today. Heading over to Cincinnati, Ohio area, we have Meat Hook Jim. I made the mistake of going to Kings Island on Saturday, and there was like a million buses in the parking lot, school buses. If there is a hell, it is probably a theme park filled with school kids. 
heading out west to the Fayetteville, Arkansas area, we have Jonna, a.k.a. The Old Crone. Hi. I just want to go on the record saying that I love home haunters. I was a home haunter myself. And any professional haunter who turns their nose up at a home haunter needs to be slapped and a spell put on them. Because you guys, uh, all home haunters, that's where ingenuity comes from. That's where a lot of props that we're using pro co originated is from the home haunters. And you guys do so much work and have so much heart and dedication. Hooray for home haunters. Very good. We have a great cheerleader with us tonight. My name is Drew Badger. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. I just want to say my daughter did graduate last week from university. Very proud of her. She is currently home and, well, I hope she finds a job soon. But we won't talk about that right now. We're going to talk about charity home haunters. We want to find out a little bit about each of our guests' various haunts, what they do, how extensive and how prepared are they, and a little bit about the charities they support. Let's start with Michael. Michael, tell us a little bit about Nightmare Haunted House. I mean, there's a lot of professional haunted houses in Chicago. I assume there's a lot of home haunters as well. But tell us a little bit about your home haunt, and then tell us a little bit about Shorewood Hugs, what they do and, and how you support them. Sure, yeah. Well, the Nightmare Haunted House, uh, we started it back in 2014. Uh, almost 10 years ago, next year will be 10 years. Uh, we started, you know, very um, small. We just started as a display, you know, just some stuff from Spirit Halloween and, you know, just, you know, some, you know, basic little props and stuff. But over the years, um, you know, in the beginning, um, it was very small scale. And then the next year we added a walkthrough in 2015. And every, every year since, um, including uh, the year of COVID 2020, we've had a walkthrough haunted house. I would say what sets us apart from other walkthroughs is that um, me and my two friends who run it with me, uh, we come from pro haunt background. So alongside um, home haunting on the days that we're not doing my show here in uh, Manuka at the Nightmare, uh, we are also acting with the pro haunters and uh, I've been acting in pro haunts. Um, so we like to train our actors just as if we're um, training other people in for pro hunts. So um, our actors, um, you know, obviously some are on different levels than others, but they're a little more advanced than your average um, home hunt, um, home hunt actors, that is. Uh, so they're on the same level with the pro hunt actors. Um, Short Hugs is a all-women's organization in Shorewood. <laughs> Shorewood is the town over from Manuka. Um, my mom is a part of Shorewood Hugs. And uh, when we were searching for a charity, you know, you know, there's so many good charities. There's Wo Wounded Warrior. There's, you know, Make-A-Wish. There's all these charities. There's all these haunt charities too. Uh, you know, Hunters Against Hate, Don't Be a Monster. But something that we've always kind of appreciated is our community here. They are very supportive of our home haunt, um, knock on wood. We've had no issues at all with anybody not, you know, not being with the jam and, you know, complaining or whatever. You know, it's it's a very community thing. The whole community loves to come to it, especially the neighbors. Um, so what other way to give back to the community than donating back to Shorewood Hugs, which hope helps people in need in our community. Um, they do big and small donations. They do everything from you know, just helping, you know, a family that might, you know, 
be lower income or, you know, helping the people who need a bigger hug. Um, they, they call their wishes hugs. That's why it's short hugs. It's basically a local make a wish. They, uh, I know last year they awarded somebody a car. Um, that was really nice. Um, that's basically it about Shore Hugs. Um, it's about a group about 40 to 50 women. Uh, they meet every week and, you know, they just help out the community. There's multiple events and, you know, one of the events that they do, um, well, they don't do it, <laughs> but one of their events is now the Nightmare Haunted House. So we are now officially a Shore Hugs event. Um, so, yeah, I kind of just dipped, dipped into the home haunt because, um, you know, I'm sure we'll get more into that later, but it's all about the charity. How um, you, you mentioned it, is it donation only or do you sell any kind of like concessions or have, um, you know, tickets or anything like that? Uh, we are completely free to enter. Uh, we don't ask for donations to enter. Um, donations are at your own will. We have a donation table at the, um, at the exit of the haunt. Uh, people are always sitting there every night. Uh, they put their cash donations into the bin and we donate 100% all of the donations to the charity. Um, something new uh, that we're going to try is, I, I'm, I like that you brought it up. We're going to try to sell merch this year uh, because we do make, you know, t-shirts and stuff like that for, you know, for a crew. Um, but this is the first year we're going to try to open it up um, to the community and to our supporters. Um, we've already tried doing it to our supporters and, you know, we got, we got a few. Um, but when it's there on the night of the operation, that money earned from the t-shirts will all, and hoodies will also go as well. How many nights are you open? Last year, we were open, um, every weekend in October, including Sunday. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, but this year, I believe we plan on opening a total of 13 nights. Um, we're only doing Friday, Saturdays this year. So we're scaling back a little bit only because we didn't see much we didn't see much attendance at all on Sunday. So it was kind of yeah. like, you know, we have all these actors. What's the point of getting them ready if no one's going to come? <laughs> <you know? laughs> I understand. Hopefully you won't get many complaints about where's my Sunday, uh, Sunday people. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll figure that out. I, I'm guessing as it gets closer to the season, David, tell us about haunt at the Roxbury. Tell us what you guys do. Is it a, a walkthrough? Do you do tickets donations only? And tell us a little bit about the hope clinic. Okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, Hunt at the Roxbury, we actually, uh, started off, um, in 2019, uh, pretty young. Uh, we started off just kind of doing a display. And, um, as, as we went further, we started to turn that display into a full immersion walkthrough because I had some crazy ideas from neighbors and friends to do so. Uh, so, uh, obviously it grew. We basically, uh, by the way, the name was my son, my oldest son came up with the name. So it's stuck. <laughs> so we, we were like, why not? That that's good. So, um, but we started in 2019, like I said, and, um, that rolled us right into COVID and during COVID we just, um, Ypsilanti is a really weird area. You've got, you've got some affluent areas in Ypsilanti where you've got, you know, you know, really, you know, nice neighborhoods. And then you have a flip side where, you know, it's incredibly impoverished, you know? Um, and one thing we noticed is that there was just a lot of need. Um, and that next year in COVID, uh, we decided to continue to do it to give people a break from what they were dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. But we also decided to, uh, work with Hope Clinic. We reached out to them and, uh, found out what, 
some of the needs were. And Hope Clinic is is basically a pantry, uh, and they also do medical, uh, medical, um, dental, vision, as well as uh, mental health, which they just started doing um, for low income, and they help people who don't have those options. Um, and we got a chance to see the facility. Uh, it was really cool. The pantry is unique because um, a lot of times people, you know, you know, they feel embarrassed to go to places like this, but they really work on trying to make people feel, you know, a sense of dignity. They actually are set up like a shopping store, like a market. So people get a basket, they walk the aisles, grab things, they've even got fresh flowers, and they try to have things that, you know, really, you know, lift people's spirits, you know, cake mix and fun stuff like that. So um, we started basically accepting donations. Uh, we don't do tickets or anything like that. We just basically pretty much do a pantry drive for non-perishable food and hygiene items. Um, so we have people and that is their donation to get in. So we started doing that. It took off. And every year we've continued to gather more and more uh, uh, food. Last year was our biggest year. We had about 2000 pounds of uh, non-perishables that we were able to take over to Hope. Um, and it was really fun. We had to break it up into two trips to get everything up there. But, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we started getting volunteers from our local school. Uh, some of the theater kids, which I think are awesome. The theater kids rock, but they came through and they were super excited to help and put on a mask and get out there. Uh, we actually had a few people who worked pro haunts come in and start working with the kids, kind of coaching them along the way, which was really fun. Uh, so it's just a fun ordeal and it, it just really helps develop a sense of community around. Every, and I think if you're starting a home hunt, I think a great idea is to work with a charity because it almost, it almost kind of insulates you, you know, because people see what you're doing. And even if they're not a fan of it, you know, we have people who hate haunts, they don't like it, but they come by and drop a donation. So it's pretty neat to see everybody get involved. I'm trying to make sure I answer all the questions. Um, you know, I thought that was really cool about uh, what Mike said about merch. We actually this year are going to test that theory out. We do have merch and we're doing it more or less to offset the cost. We, the amount of money that's spent, I'm pretty sure everybody knows it's just, it's just dumbfounding sometimes. And I think that's one of my, uh, one of the special places I have my heart for home hunters because you pour out a lot of money <laughs> and you're doing it for a charity. So, um, you know, we, we're going to toy with merchandise this year and uh, hopefully offset some of the costs that we incur uh, doing it. But uh, I think I answered everything. Did I miss anything? <laughs> if you did, we'll definitely uh, come back and, and cover it. Okay. But, uh, that's how, again, are, do you also take cash donations or just merchandise and we haven't done, we haven't done cash. Uh, I, I, I thought about it. I didn't know how to feel about it, honestly. And I'm open to input from other people. Uh, I just wanted people to focus more on the charity. I didn't want money gets so weird sometimes. And, and I don't want, you know, questions or anything. I don't want people to look at us in any sort of weird light. I just wanted to make sure we we're able to, you know, bolster uh the the uh, pantry and i'm not against it it's just one of those things where i was like you know i'm not sure how to feel about it i'm kind of on the fence about that so right now we're just pretty much just donations for non-perishables sounds great steve you have been doing dark corners manor for a bit um tell us a little bit about it and uh, what made you decide to want to start giving back to the community okay well thanks for having me um 
you know, we kind of been doing more of a yard display for quite a while and we kind of moved locations with COVID. We, we were in a kind of a nice um, Cape Cod house, if you will. The yard was kind of small, but we kind of outgrew it at the same time COVID happened. So we thought, well, we'll move it a little bit. And then we moved it to a friend of mine's house who I've been doing it with him and his girlfriend for a long time. And it kind of expanded really, really quick. He's a really big front yard, driveway, all this sort of thing. And I think with the charities, what's got me so interested in is it almost has to be the next step, right? Because you can only do so much yard display, right? But I've got a ton of questions on how, because with us, the the biggest thing we have is one day. It's just, you know, one day because we have so much stuff, we're afraid to leave that stuff out overnight, you know, all the crazy special effects and different things. So um, yeah, I'm definitely the newbie when it comes to this. So I'm just going to be all ears and sit back and I'll definitely ask a bunch of questions if that's okay. If you have questions for Michael or David, go right ahead because that is, that is absolutely what we live for. We love it when the guests start talking amongst each other's. Okay. I'll start off. So first question. So if you do have it, obviously you guys have it multiple weekends, right? And or a month or longer or whatever. How do you secure that? How do you, I know it's not really part of the charity part of it, but how do you take it to that where nobody wants to take something or am I saying that right? Steal something. <laughs> Did you mean like donations wise? Well, all the, all the, all the above, like, it, you know, if we want to go to the next level, it's obviously has to be more than one day. Right. So if we're keeping, you know, everything outside for one day, how do you, we're in a nice neighborhood, but uh, yeah, well, I protect all I, this stuff. Right. I see every year somebody will, some jackass, for lack of a better word, will slash an inflatable or somebody will knock down a bunch of tombstones in somebody's yard cemetery. You know, that, that stuff happens. But, uh, you know, I totally understand the need for security or, or how do you guys deal with that? You know, especially those who stay up, you know, every weekend. Or do you take it down every Sunday night and bring it back up every Friday? I can't speak for Mike. Uh, we're both is, is, we're both in the Midwest, so we kind of deal with some of the same challenges. M- our biggest challenges, honestly, is weather. <laughs> um, and I, I'm pretty sure he's on the other side of Lake Michigan, so he can attest to this. Uh, wind, wind and rain, man. Um, I don't mind snow, but wind and rain has done more to damage property than any assailant. So, and luckily we've been pretty fortunate. A lot of people, you know, bolster and get behind us in this. So if anybody's even on our yard looking weird, I get a call from a neighbor, like they're looking at your stuff. <laughs> I'm watching them. So, you know, that's kind of neat. But the biggest thing is dealing with weather because it's outdoors. And, um, you know, we've had some, we've had some tragic moments where we built something and it got destroyed, unfortunately. So, uh, but I try personally uh if i've got like high high level like uh animatronics or things that i'm worried about that are big investments i may depending on the weather you know choose to pull them you know if if that's the case when i was doing home haunting and i had you know all of these tombstones and skeletons and things like that for weather purposes as well as you know wanting to make sure they didn't go anywhere because i lived it was a it was a good neighborhood but it also, it was an older neighborhood, so there wasn't a whole lot of streetlights. And my house was right on the corner. Um, so it was very easy for someone to snatch and run. So like my tombstones, everything was put on to, I would use rebar into the ground. And then my tombstones had PVC pipes 
attached to the back. So basically, I would just go out and drop, 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 and my tombstones were all set back up. Same thing with all my skeletons. Um, I cut a small hole in their tailbone, going up their spine, hammer rebar into the ground, and all I had to do was just slide that guy onto the rebar. So doing pre-work like that, being able to take it down and set it back up worked really quickly. And then anything that required, you know, really watching, then it didn't go out until the day. We only did one day as well. But there's a lot of things you could do preemptive to, yes, you could take it back up each weekend or each evening whenever you're done. Because if you plan it out right, your reset, you know, setting everything back up the next day could go really quick. Yeah, a lot of it is planning and, and just, you know, thinking what could happen. You know, a lot of theft is theft of convenience. So if you have like a display of, you know, uh, uh, fake arms and body parts and stuff, you just want to wire that down. And sometimes it's just, you know, wiring from the back and, and you know, just attaching to a fence or something. But, you know, it's, it's attaching to structures, stuff like, you know, fog machines and projectors. You want to build them and figure them out where you can pull them in each night because they'll get beat up by elements and they could walk off if you just have them sitting out. Another thing we do is... Um, you know, boxes and structures. If we had a big sound system uh, and this is at a uh, haunted hayride and during the day it was a full yard center and everything. So yeah, a lot of people walking through and we didn't want people messing with it. So we just made this big crate thing, put an arm coming through it on the outside, but it would lock up with padlocks and have hinges and open and close so that we could open up and fire up all the electronics inside for the show each night. And then it'd sit there and, you know, it's just, just a box and nobody's going to walk off with a six foot uh, uh, box and you can attach it to stuff too, if you needed to. So it, it really is a lot of design and figuring out how you want to protect it and, you know, uh, going with it. One of the things I do is I will do a projector and the uh, singing um, uh, jack-o'-lanterns. So I have a six foot privacy fence and I didn't want the projector out in front of the pumpkins where it could walk off easily. So I actually have the projector under the stand my pumpkin sit on and it hits a mirror on the back of the fence and projects up onto the pumpkins who sit on a platform just above the fence. So they're a little bit far back, but nobody can get to the projector because they'd have to get into my backyard and get into another fenced area to get it. So it's just planning and, uh, you know, sometimes playing around and, uh, you know, experiment in a little bit to make sure your stuff is secure, but you get a good show. I guess one of the things we do to secure, it's not only about securing, um, you want to make sure everything is really, really secure. I would say the biggest thing for us that prevents stuff like that happening is signs and cameras. It's something about, you know, having the eyes always watching. You know, if you post a sign that says, 24-hour surveillance, we've had, um, in the past, we've had issues with uh, TPing. Um, we haven't really had uh, problems with um, anybody uh, breaking stuff, but things have gone missing over the years. But it's just about making sure, um, like everyone else said, it's secure, really, really good. So it's hard to, you know, walk away with those bigger items, stuff that's secure into the ground. But having, you know, a camera over the lawn, just one, 
Um, we have one over our driveway and the camera uh, over the front yard. And then we have a few signs posted as well, but I'll make sure of those. And also um, I think having a fence around the display also helps a lot too, because you know, that's kind of a barrier. Yes, they could jump over it because it's usually not that high, but you could build a, you know, a four foot tall, you know, cemetery fence around your display and it'd be tall enough to say, okay, well, the more barriers, the less likely. That's kind of how I see it. Camera is also fun because then you can get some of the great reactions and uh, you got yourself some promo and some home videos. Yeah. You know what's great too is you can get these little window sensors pretty cheap and it's it's where you would i mean they've just got sticky on them but you know you stick one on one part of the windowsill and the other on the other part and so if someone raises that window it separates them and it causes it to make us real high-pitched squeal and um, put that on a couple of props that if kids try to grab them and that wheel goes off there yeah they're gonna bail <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like seeing kids start screaming because they realize they got caught. That's a, that's a great one. Hey, I do have another question. So let's start from the, with the basics, I guess. So when you approach a charity, how do you approach a charity? <laughs> I've got a home haunt. I want to, you know, how does that work? Um, I, I will say um, we actually called around uh, when we started uh, the first year we did it. Um, and it was funny. Uh, quite a few people were open to it. And when we ran into hope, not only were they open, they were like, hey, you can use our logo. Um, you know, you want stickers, you want pamphlets. And I was like, wow. So um, it's just amazing what you'll find out just with a phone call sometime or even visit. Um, you know, a lot of these people are just waiting for somebody to do something like that. And they were so grateful that we even thought of doing that. They were kind of blown away. So it just told me that they're, they're waiting for someone to get behind and partner with them, you know? So I, I think it's real simple. It's not that hard. Are you specifically supporting or looking for charities that are 501 C three? Because you know, these days anybody can say they're a charity, but it, it takes a good bit to become, you know, 501 C three. And I assume you, that the charities you work with are. Yes. I, I think that's a great, uh, that's a great point because I think you want to be able to have some transparency about what you're doing and who you're working with. That was another thing I loved about hope clinic. They were very transparent about where everything went. And uh, yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I've also learned that because, you know, we're doing what we're doing and we're not doing it for profit. It's probably not a bad idea to look into becoming a 5013 C yourself. Uh, because sometimes you open yourself up to benefactors who may be willing to get behind you and maybe uh, donate or support uh, or even sponsor. So, which is something we're exploring right now. How about you, Michael? Is Shorewood a 501c3? Yep. On their website, Short Hugs, right under it, literally right under the logo on the first page. So everybody knows right when they go to the website that it's 501c3. Uh, and David, I like that you brought that up, uh, that you're going to get that for your organization, because that makes me think, oh, well, maybe that would help us out, too. I guess in to answer uh, Steve's question about, you know, how do you approach, um, I guess for us, it was kind of a little bit of a different story. You know, we kind of had an orga organization in mind, so we already, we didn't have to go through the stages of, like, determining, but we kind of saw the first few years, you know, not so much reciprocated support from the charity. 
you know, sometimes there's like, oh, a haunted house, Ugh. you know, like there's sometimes people, you know, especially in, you know, certain areas, they just, you know, it's, oh, a haunted house. It's just a haunted house, you know, you know, what can they actually do? And I think over the years, as short hugs started to see just, you know, what we did, you know, we invited them out. Then they're like, okay, let's give you banners. Let's come to your event and we'll stay here. And, you know, they, you know, they share our stuff, they help support. Um, so it's almost kind of like, you kind of, I wish that I would have sold it more to them. You kind of got to sell it to them a little bit. Depends on the organization. If it's a well-established organization, um, they might just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, local charities, you know, they were definitely a little leery at first of, you know, like, okay, what exactly, you know, what exactly is a haunted house? You know, you know, it's kind of sometimes hard to, you know, take yourself out of the haunter mentality and, you know, look at it from a civilian standpoint. Yeah, I was going to hit on that, that uh, you make a real good point. And something you could do, even as a homeowner, is uh, a simple media kit. You know, just explain what you are, showing what you do in professional. You know, these charities, they have all kinds of people coming to them trying to get what charities can do for them and trying to use the name to uh, make their organization or event look more legitimate. So you want to show that you're bringing something to them, that you're good nature and this is what you want to do. And also show what your haunt is and everything. So it fits with the values of that charity too. You uh, definitely don't want to be somebody who does displays with nooses and things like that. And, you know, give money to a, um, a charity which deals like the, the Samaritans, the, you know, somebody who deals with, with that type of thing. And it's like one of the things with our haunt, we'd never have a noose because of suicide issues and that type of thing. The owner said, nope, you don't never in a display just because is is personal and, and it didn't like it. We've had um, we've actually our makeup was too good one year and we actually had somebody complaining and had a, a, a you know thought there was domestic abuse at our haunt and uh we're going with that so you know if you have a scene where you got people bruised up and stuff you know uh, a woman's shelter or something might not be the best thing and also some of these charities want to make sure you're not going to have you know their name and a sign saying supporting this and you end up on the news next week because you had something so gory you scared a school bus of kids you know, that's, that's, that's fine if you want to do it and where you want to go with it. But these charities want to know that too. So a little media kit, explain what you're doing, why you're a good fit. Uh, you know, explain it, how many people come by and the exposure you get. And, you know, you know, if you can raise a, a few bucks, they'll be happy for it and everything. But they also want to make sure that they're protecting their brand and the more organized and, and put together, uh, that you can present yourself. And, a little media kit doesn't have to be too crazy or anything. You, you know, just a little page, two page presentation, summary paragraph thing and your contact information out there. And, you know, you, you get that rolling. And then the more you look good with that, sometimes charities will start seeking you out. And that's where definitely, you know, looking for their um, CO1, three uh certificates and everything you you want to make sure that they're organized too and you you, you want to look into any charities that do approach you to make sure that you know it fits your brand and it's not going to be something in the end where you find out that you know you thought you're giving money to this cause and it was you know the person's cancun trip 
And that has unfortunately happened with even some very large national charities. I do want to remind you, you are listening to the Roundtable of Terror here on the Big Scary Show. We are talking with charity home haunters with our very special guests, Steve Stelton, David Jones, and Michael Peters, along with our regular co-hosts. We're going to take a very short break here to pay some bills because we're not a charity. And we'll be right back. Are you looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? HauntPay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots, variable ticket types, bundle and combo tickets, social media discounts, and now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door, as well as upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com and get started in 60 seconds for free. And we are back to the Roundtable of Terror talking about charity home haunters, combining charity haunts and home haunters into one supreme being with our very special guest, Michael Peters from the Nightmare Haunted House in the Chicago area, David Jones, Haunt at the Roxbury in Ypsilanti, Michigan, Steve Stelton, Dark Corners Manor in Louisville, Kentucky. Steve, did you have any other questions about working and creating and a relationship with a charity or anything like that? I do. <clears throat> Something a little bit negative, and I hate to pull it up, but what about like your liability insurance, you know, all that crazy stuff? How does that I know. I know. How does that kind of happen or not happen? Well, back when I was doing it, I was able to talk to my um, homeowner's insurance and I was able to basically just increase what my coverage was for that time period. Um, and then just make sure you really protect yourself. Really, really go through your haunt with the eye of anybody could trip on this. Anybody could grab this, you know, what happens if someone, I mean, you really have to do that as a pro haunter, but that starts as a, uh, a home haunter too, of really making sure you dummy proof everything, you know, almost like baby proof your haunt and that will help protect you. But yeah, you should be able to talk to your homeowner insurance. Do home haunters, I do not know the answer to this. So I'm asking our guests, do home haunters have to get inspected or approval? I guess, depending I think, on the I scope think, of what they do, but yeah, I think if you get to a big enough point, you may have to get like a, a event license possibly. Um, but uh, right now we've been able to stay off the radar. So we're trying to <laughs> avoid that. What uh, I agree with what John has said too, as well, uh, just really because your home is tied into this year, you know, so obviously uh, increasing, you know, um, that that uh, level of coverage for for that time period and most insurance companies are pretty flexible they'll allow you to do that and then you know after you're done you can go back to whatever you were prior you had prior it's not too dissimilar than if you say was going to host um a wedding in your backyard or something like that you know they kind of lump it under that and that for this particular time frame you're going to have more people there for this event um so yeah, definitely talk to him. Yeah, yeah. For inspect inspections and stuff too. Uh, a lot of time, that's locally. You know what they're doing. Uh, a lot of a lot of places really don't care unless it's you know 
so big and has a structure or roof over it if you're putting up tents over your stuff then you might really want to look and see what your local laws are and everything but if it's just a couple steps in your garage and back out you know that that should handle it for you know inspections and stuff but you know being safe and having you know the right things around you know a fire extinguisher around it is good too yeah, and I guess that ties in really with a safety question. I mean, you know, Halloween is a big party time of year, and sometimes you get people who are under under the influence, high on things other than the moment, and, you know, accidents or on purposes may occur, especially if you have actors interacting with people. You know, how do you guys deal with that? I mean, I, I know the question of having security guards and cameras and, and things like that, maybe off-duty deputies or something like that to keep keep the peace. But but how do you guys handle that? And have you ever had incidences where EMTs or law enforcement had to be called in? Or has there been a case in your area with maybe another home haunt where that's had to happen? Yeah, well... Uh, just to touch base on the, uh, we do raise our coverage as well, but something um, to lead into the security thing is you want to do your research. You want to see what the fire codes are um, in case, you know, for whatever reason you are to be inspected, maybe halfway through a season, you know, find out how many exits you have to have every so feet. You know, we have fire extinguishers, fireproof, everything, fire retardant. Um, you know, do you have a system, you know, in place, not only a system in place in general, but do your actors know about the systems? We have we have codes. We use walkie-talkies. Um, even though our home haunt is um, a smaller footprint, we do use walkie-talkies. We have code words, uh, you know, code red. We use for you know in case of a fire emergency. Um, if someone calls code red within seconds, everything's off and the house lights are on and. It's as if it was, you know, bright in there and, you know, the exits are very clear. Um, we have a code white. We use that for if somebody passes out. Um, and we have somebody who is a um, nurse, um, certified nurse, and she, you know, she's CPR certified and, you know, knows what to do. And there's a lot not to do when somebody, you know, if you're dealing with people who might come through and, you know, yeah, they're, they're going to read your rules. Don't enter if you have this, this, and this. They're still going to go in anyway, and you got to know what to do when that stuff happens and, you know, have your rules posted. That helps as well. And, and to touch base on, you know, security with the people, you know, especially last year, we saw a lot, a lot, a lot of rowdy people just coming through being punks. And um, <laughs> yes, we had security, but it's at least in our case, it was bound to happen, you know, with the throughput of just so many people, you know, especially, you know, when we were sending them in at a little bit of faster rate, you know, we had a normal rate, we would send people in at a show. And when we increased it, you know, we learned that's when problems sometimes occur, because, you know, the pacing set a little faster. And so just have those codes in place, train your actors on, you know, how to react and, you know, stay back from people and, you know, just do do as much as you can. Uh, with your team, if you have a team, if it's just you, just, you know, know, know what to do. Prepare yourself mentally and physically and just have a plan. I was just wanting to say something about um, having medical personnel on, on staff. 
Um, just like the police, if you have a policeman on staff, um, make sure you know what they legally can do and what they legally can't do. You need to do the same thing if you have medical personnel. Um, I used to have on staff a, uh, a retired paramedic. He was the one who enlightened me that there are certain things that they can do and can't do that can open them up to liability um, as well as, as me as the haunt owner. So make sure you're familiar with that. They can act as a citizen assisting someone. But if they say, I am the medical personnel for XYZ haunt, if they do something to that person or that person doesn't like something, then that comes back on you. So if you have medical personnel or actual police officers and things, make sure you know your state regulations. And, and every municipality is different. Every county is yes. different. Every state is different. So what works in Michigan may not work in Kentucky, may not work in, you know, Florida or Texas or California or Maine or wherever. So exactly. You know, the, the information we give out here is for general purposes only. Please check with your locals. Yep. And, and safety wise, there are a couple of little things you can do. One of the most effective safety things that uh, I've seen in haunts of any type, size or level is uh, a little handheld flashlight. Those little LED lights, you get them, like, the, the ones they give away at Harbor Freight, they fit in the palm of your hand. Everybody with your haunt should have one of them on there. I can't tell you how effective it is to light up somebody who's causing trouble, whether they're drunk, vigilant, uh, just, just causing problems. You've fire one of those up in their face they back off they back down and you can even have your actors do that because if somebody's causing that type of disrupt disruption the show's over for that group light them up and have you know somebody pull that whole group out and that will also help police people aren't going people who want to enjoy it aren't going to bring their friends who are acting that way and you'll sometimes even find that they'll police uh you know the, the people in it you light them up and boom it all backs down they, they they'll 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 go through and they'll be a a, a you know a, a model uh customer after that to to go through uh and it's just how effective a little two dollar flashlight is is absolutely amazing uh, because they can't see whether you're in costume or what you're doing but they know they're lit up and boom they're they're the center of attention and it's not good uh one of the biggest pitfalls um especially with home haunts and as you grow is going to be traffic uh, you definitely want to have a traffic plan. You definitely want to find out what the rules are with your city, uh, you know, and, and the local area. And this this is where, you know, major haunts have gotten killed because if the traffic starts backing up on a road or something, the police just send out traffic duty and then you get the bill. And it is hundreds of dollars an hour because you have to pay for the equipment, the police car, and for an off-duty officer. And uh, that does help with safety because people aren't as rowdy in line or getting in when there's a police car 20 feet away. But that is a very expensive uh, way to go, too. And you want to make sure that you know... Uh, what the rules are and work with you know your your local uh town with any traffic let them know have good instructions on your website uh if you have the news or somebody come out you know explain to them have signage saying which way to go uh because that's also going to prevent problems you know your road rage your people blocking each other in 
and issues with that, you might want to invest in a couple uh, cones uh, so that people don't block your neighbor's driveways. Talk to your neighbors to make sure they're aware of what nights and what's happening and, and just get a good feel for that. And you can avoid a lot of problems. And the other safety thing is uh, a neat little thing, which I've seen just done by a lot of people for their Halloween displays are those little globe bracelets, uh, especially for kids and stuff. Cause that's a problem. You get a good group. It gets dark so early and the kids just are running back and forth. They're excited in front of the haunt and there are people trying to find where to park, look at your display and you, you don't want any issues in the road with that. And, and there's always kids running out in front of cars when you have a display like that. So if you have a table and you get a couple hundred of those bracelets and, you know, it's just a snap and go. And you can even have a jar there for somebody to drop in a buck or two. And then you have another source of revenue for your charity. And you have the safety because a kid with at least a bracelet going on or two of them for a necklace is going to be a lot easier to see than when they're just taken off, uh, you know, in the dark there. So th those are just a couple little things which can be done without too much uh, a headache. Now, Storm, you bring up something very interesting that I hadn't even considered. Um, home haunters, by their very nature, tend to be in, a lot of cases, neighborhoods. So I guess this question goes out more for Michael and David. How much of your audience is walk-up from the neighborhood versus people that drive in from other neighborhoods, other towns, or whatever? And, and Steve, I guess this is yours to a lesser extent, but... Um, you know, is 50%, 75%, do you even know, or do you ask, you know, hey, where'd you come from? Or, you know, are you doing trick-or-treating at your house as well, especially if you're open Halloween? So how much of your traffic is, you know, walk-up versus people actually driving to your area? My uncle had a home haunt in the neighboring town, and he was that guy in the neighborhood, and all the trick-or-treaters would come see him. He was only open on Halloween night, but, you know, he would start it right around 730 and literally by 715, all the local churches had little hayrides going on. And you would see tractors bringing in little hayride trailers filled with kids <laughs> and they would all stop right at his right at his yard. He was a corner right along the major highway. These long elongated golf carts with that hold like eight people, you know, they would start driving up and down the road and stopping right at his place so they could see his place first and go through his display before going trick-or-treating down through the rest of the neighborhood. So, you know, I'll ask that question out there. How much of your traffic is, you know, local versus non-local? That, that's a good question. Um, what, one of the things that we, we've been really fortunate with, uh, the subdivision we're in is surrounded by farmland. Um, a lot of those farms have sold and they've become subdivisions. And so this is pretty much a rural area for the most part. So we do have, uh, you know, some tractors that take kids through the neighborhoods. So when we first moved into this neighborhood, we noticed that Halloween was an event. They actually have a little Halloween, mini Halloween parade in the park in our subdivision for costume parties and things of that nature. So there's always been traffic in the neighborhood. Um, so that we've been fortunate on that. So a large part of it is local because a lot of the neighboring subdivision empty into ours. Uh, but last year was the first time we start finding people coming from different parts of Detroit Metro. Uh, so, you know, it's a good question. I think last year was the first time we saw an increase with outside traffic 
not just so much local uh, traffic around us. So it's, I'm going to say about 75, 25 is about where we're at. I would say in our case, it's about um, split. Um, not so much neighborhood. Uh, we see a lot of neighborhood on Halloween or um, they, our neighborhood does like a little, uh, I don't know what you call it, but where they go around to different garages and socialize and drink. And so on that night, we get a lot of neighborhood uh, visitors as well. But uh, the last couple of years, we've drawn heavily from our surrounding areas as well. Um, and there are a few outlets um, to help with that in our area, which we'll get into later. But we do see a lot of foot traffic from some of the other, you know, cities, you know, like Joliet, as far as 30 minutes away, people coming and um, to see, to see, you know, our display. Steve, are you having that issue in your neighborhood? No, we have mostly foot traffic as well. Um, it's funny that how you can kind of see the word get out to some of the neighbors and then there's more neighbors and then there's, and the area is very, very flat. So it's easily walkable. That's a word. But um, I, I can see if you, if we had something they could maybe walk through versus walking up just to get some candy. And then you got the display, right? Because right now as you kind of come up the driveway and if that was a walk through, I think we could do really, really well with that. But it doesn't take much, you know, word of mouth around there. But last year, I think we finally seen some cars maybe just pulling up, maybe just to get a look at it or whatever. So that was kind of fun. But um, yeah, mostly walk up. So yeah. Which I imagine if you're open more than just Halloween, you're probably going to get a lot more driving because people are like, oh, we're going out to a couple of haunted houses. Oh, there's a home haunt over here. Let's go check this out. So for sure. You know, one thing I've seen a trend of and it kind of bums me out is the little kids that get them out so early. A lot of times we're not even finished setting up. So the little kids are coming up with their hands on. We got stuff kind of everywhere, but it's five o'clock in the afternoon. You know what I mean? So they're starting earlier and earlier every year. I'm not sure if I like that. <laughs> maybe maybe post a big sign, the crypt does not open until dark or something like that. You know, That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I've noticed, uh, especially in my area, a lot of the neighbors are having little social events in their driveways. They're not necessarily yard displays. There may be a couple of big spirit Halloween props and maybe some fog or a projection on their garage or something. But yeah, instead of going to their door, you're going up their driveway and they have something, you know, bowl of candy. And, you know, there's three or four neighbors sitting around drinking or partying or, or whatever. Some are grilling and things like that. I, I took my son and I went to a neighborhood a couple of years ago and there was at least three homes in that neighborhood offering jello shots to the adults. So, you know, that, that was nice. I, I kind of enjoyed that, which was, um, which was interesting. And, you know, there was a couple of major yard displays that you could walk through, but you had to walk along a path. You couldn't just wander through the guy's yard. And, and I'm wondering, do you have that same issue with people just wandering through your yard or do they have to go through a certain trail or pathway, whether you have the lighted ropes along the bottom where they have to follow or, you know, my uncle did that. So all these kids that would get off at his neighborhood, they had to walk the little trail in order to get to the big table where all the goodies were. And the actors would come out and jump at them from various turns in, in the trail. Does, does that work in your case? I don't know. But, you know, I'm just curious how much of your customers or people that walk through have complete freedom to walk through the yard or do they have to go along a certain area? 
funny you mentioned that because the little kids, that's more of the problem that we see, right? It, they just get so excited. And I mean, there is more extension cords in this yard and you can shake a stick at. So we're trying to go LED and get the, you know, the little small wires and whatnot, but we kind of force them up the driveway and every year we're making more of a path because they'll just shoot through the yard, shoot through this way. They'll go to the smoke, they'll go to the lights. So we're really trying to guide them up to, you know, the candy per se, but I do like the rope, the light ropes. That would be a good, good way of doing that. So, yeah. Yeah. We get a lot of very young kids or we did the last couple of years. He did it where, you know, three, four years old and, and their parents aren't going, they're just standing in the road and, you know, they're like, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And, you know, they're, they're terrified, but they see the big pile of candy and stuff at the end. So, you know, it works out like that. You know, David, Michael, um, I'm assuming you guys may have a little bit more of a structured content as far as people going through, or do they have run of your yards? Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. We, uh, and because we kind of have a narrative, we've, we've got signs up everywhere with our rules and we also verbally go over them with people to kind of reiterate them to make sure people heard or didn't glaze over the signs. But we have, we use these rope lights that we found at Costco, which are absolutely amazing and you can change the colors if you want but we do the path in those rope lights and we tell people to stay on that lighted path which also protects our actors too so they we tell them to not go into the path stay on the other side of that so um and people do an amazing job we actually on our on our our, our tiktok we've actually got uh uh it was so funny this one lady was terrified and her and her family they were actually running, which we don't encourage, but they were running the trail, but they stopped to make sure they didn't go through. They didn't go over the light path, which I thought was hilarious, but they literally followed that trail through. So that's what we do to kind of keep people on path. What we do uh, is, you know, when they walk up, obviously there's fencing around the entire outdoor yard display with the cemetery. And then we use, uh, we just use, we made little stands out of wood and we tie a rope, um, connecting all the little stands so we have a just just like a pro hunt if you were to go to a pro hunt you would wait in the queue line um and you know there's lots of you know switchbacks on in our queue lines on our driveway and so they wait out there and then they go into our garage where um the main portion of our hunt is and you know we have all the props and the sets kind of set up to where we never really try to make it how do i say like we don't try to make it like a maze maze yes it's a maze it's a walkthrough but no matter if they're because we have a portion of the hunt outside in the side yard as well for the outdoor section we kind of they're in like a a kennel cage there's fence on either side so they can't go anywhere they have to or else you know they're going to run into the fence and probably get hurt um, but inside um Walkthrough wise, we don't use any uh, like there's no rail or light or anything. You know, they're in the scene. They're within the scene. You know, we want to immerse them, but we don't design it to where they're trying to find their way out. It's kind of obvious like, uh, oh, it might be like where they're like, we go through here. Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> so, you know, just at least for us, not trying to make it too coarse, because if you do make it like too hard to find your way through, that's when they're going to start slamming into your walls really hard. And yes, we support them really hard, but if they go full speed into it, it's never happened. So I don't know, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know if they'll, they'll break awesome. something. <laughs> awesome problem not to have. 
So um, getting back a little bit to the charity, and I cannot remember if this was mentioned, but uh, I'll ask it again. But um, do you guys host a charity night where someone or a group from the Hope Clinic or the Shorewood Hugs comes out and actually attends, whether they have a table with information so that people who are going through your haunt and they know who they're, do- who they're donating to, they can actually pick up some information and see what they're actually, you know, what their cash donation, what their cans of food, what their hygiene products is going for. Do you guys sponsor a night like that? And if so, how complicated is that to set up? I can't speak for Mike, but for me, it, it can be a little bit of a challenge getting somebody down. We've tried to get people to come a couple of times and we've had people come. I've actually asked them if they wanted to volunteer and just hang out at the table uh, where we take our donations in. Uh, and usually I get the same answer every time, you know, here, take every pamphlet you need so they can see uh, one of the things we were toying with, because we also do uh, vlogging as well on YouTube. And one of the things we're trying to work out right now, hopefully we can make this happen, is doing a video tour of Hope Clinic so people can see it um, and they can actually get to see it in action. I think that's really I mean, that's what sold us on Hope Clinic. When we saw it, we were like, wow, this is a great organization. We definitely want to partner with them. Um, So we're hoping we can do that. But yes, we would and we still are trying to actively recruit people to come out and hang out the people that work at our particular office because they have more than one in michigan they're frightened of (laughs) what they may see so we will see (laughs) yeah i guess that could be a problem you know i'd love to go but i'm scared so (laughs) i guess in our case uh well it took five years to get short hugs to come sit out at the table but they, uh, they this last year, they did it um, almost every night. They were there, at least somebody. Um, luckily, it's local, um, very local in our situation. And they have over 50, either four, I think it's either over 40 or over 50 members. So they have a big pool where they can rotate and send out a representative. But we also have flyers every night. One thing that we do... Um, not for the charity, but we do it for haunters, is we open up on a Tuesday night uh, for all the local haunters in our area. Uh, We call it Chicago Haunt Builders Night. Um, Chicago Haunt Builders is a network of home haunters uh, and some pro haunters are in it as well. Um, It's basically just a big networking community of almost 150 home haunts and pro haunts in the Chicagoland area. And what we do is we open up on a Tuesday because, you know, let's face it, we're busy with our own stuff during the season. And, you know, if we provide an opportunity for them to come see our show fall in action on a week weekday um, in late September, they're going to come because more than likely they're free. I think Chicago. that's awesome. I was going to say that uh, I'm really familiar with, with, with the Chicago Haunters group. And I love the. I would love to kind of, get some kind of similar, similar situation out here, but you know, with haunt 31 voodoo on Vassar, you know, you hear about, and you guys have a really strong uh, home haunt community out there. I, the more I hear about these things, I I'm just blown away by the unity between you guys and how you work together. Uh, Detroit Metro is so split apart. I mean, you got some things that are like hour to hour and a half away. So motor city haunt club isn't really inclusive like that. I wish it was, that's probably one thing we could probably do a better job of is, you know, networking together more. Um, and I love what you guys do. Just have to say that. 
I believe there's 28 or 29 professional haunts in the Louisville, Kentucky area, but I don't know if there is a Facebook group or social media group for Louisville, Kentucky. Steve, are you familiar with anything like that? No, I'm not. Um, you're right. We're, we're, we're littered with haunts. And it, just a couple of years ago, I kind of found all of this stuff. It's just kind of amazing. It's almost like there's so much out there that there's so much out there. Right. But I have not heard of that. Um, I don't know if the guys work together more than, than I know or, or, or what have you, but I'm, I'm definitely going to reach out to the, um, what is the, uh, t- the Terraplex gentleman? I can't remember his the name. Horrorplex. Travis Horrorplex. There you go. What well, he was that good friend of the show, good friend of the show. So he was seventh street haunt forever. So I get him confused, yes. but yeah, he seems like a great guy. So I'd love to just bend his ear and kind of go from there. So I plan on doing that. If he'll let me. Oh, he'll, he'll bend your ear right back. So you, you don't worry about that. Travis is a good guy. And, and, you know, haunted hotel, those folks are great devil's attic. And, you know, even the stuff in Southern Indiana, and if there's not an, a Louisville haunters group, somebody needs to create one wink, wink, hint, wink, hint, wink. Travis or anybody else listening. But, um, Looking at the clock here, we probably need to start winding down just a little bit. So are there any other questions, either from the guests or the hosts? I would like to ask their opinions on kind of going back to the security and people, you know, kind of messing things up and misbehaving and stuff. It sounds so counterintuitive, but the the group that is the most disruptive at my haunt and most other haunts you'll hear are like those tweenagers. The, the 12 to 14, you know, that age group. How do you guys feel about that age group coming through your haunt? Do you cringe when they show up? <laughs> They're you know, not I, the ones think, bringing cans of food, are they? <laughs> yeah. we, we, we actually had some ruckus with them, but they've gotten better. I think one of the things we've done to combat that is we just have so many volunteers. We probably have more volunteers than we do actors. Um, so when you come in, there's so many people that you're interacting with from the donation table to people who are on the queue line to somebody who's at the door, letting you in. There are so many checkpoints that I think they feel a little bit intimidated to not do anything crazy because there's just so many people to react. So I think that helps having the numbers. That's good. Yeah. We we love scaring them, but boy, we hate to deal with them in every other way. Yeah, if they don't have an adult with them, which sometimes they do, but most of the time they don't because they're like, stay home. We're, we're big enough. We can go by ourselves. But you are definitely right. They are the biggest problem. And more than likely or not, they are on, the only problem we have. If they're not with an adult, uh, walk through with them. I know it might sound like what? I just follow behind them. Maybe not right up on them, but like keep your distance a little bit. Pretend like you're not there, especially me. I'm in costume every night. Um, so they'll never know like, you know, oh, that's like, you know, that's someone who's going to, you know, kick us out if we start acting up. And as soon, if you even sense for a second that they're going to act up, you know, don't maybe not go up to them and say, hey, behave, but like, just remind them like, you know, say to your people up front, you know, make sure you read them the rules, look them in the eye and say, you know, just, just really do, you know, like I said earlier, just have a plan and just really just hit it home with them. Have you ever had to guide groups like that? You know, most people go in their own little groups, but have you ever had to put a guide with them because you just knew in advance they were going to be rowdy, put a volunteer on them or put somebody and say, follow me. Well, I have, Yeah, I have cameras 
uh, all through my hunt and I will usually signal and say, okay, watch this, watch this group coming through so that we really pay attention to what they're doing because we know there might be an issue. Um, yeah. Luckily good... for me, <laughs> sorry. No, go for it. Go for it. I was going to say lucky for me, my wife is a pit bull. We've actually had a few groups. We had one year, we had a group, um, we had a guy up front who was elderly and they were taking donations out of the box and throwing them back in. And they ran through <laughs> and my wife being the pit bull, she is, she ran in there and pulled them out. <laughs> yeah. I go grandma on them and they, they definitely don't like that. I use my, my mom slash grandma voice on them and they usually behave for me a lot quicker than they do any of my other guys. <laughs> and one of the best practices you can do too is have an area uh, for them to, to wait for a ride or something like that. That works with professional haunts too, even just like a, a picnic table or someplace where they can shuffle off because that's where they're going to act up the most is when they're they're waiting, they're bored, they've either done it or they're waiting for a friend to show up and do it. And that's also where you'd, you know, light that area up a little bit better. Um, so, you know, people could just hang, socialize, and that's where you'd want to put a photo op too. You know, any signage you'd want to put there and any photo ops for them to share on social media. You know, you make that neat prop with the, the photo op. Uh, that's where you'd stick it. And, you know, just have a spot that says pick up, drop off over there. And, you know, they'll, they'll group over there and you can sort of manage where your trouble might be going and coming from. And, and sometimes that just works. It gets them out of the haunt instead of sitting there bored or trying to push their way through again. This area reserved for TikToking. This area reserved for you know photographs or whatever. That's that's kind of a neat a neat idea. And yeah, I can totally see that working. Something hey. I want to try this year is when we tell people, you know, we we have a video for them to watch watch the rules, and then we also have the what I call the gatekeeper. You know, the person who lets them inside the haunt and stuff. Kind of say some things. But someone had said one time that they will do better if they police themselves. And if you say if one of you misbehaves, the entire group has to leave. And then sometimes they'll be more likely to, if one starts acting up, going, dude, don't do that. We don't want to get kicked out. And I'm going to try that this year. That's an awesome idea. Any final questions, guys? Yep. I, I got my last question. You know, this is, seems to be the bigger litmus test, even the home haunts now. But, you know, I think it's probably something that works for any haunt. How many 12-foot skeletons do you have? Okay, oh, come on. Guys, you, guys have, you guys have to have some 12-foot skeletons. <laughs> Zero. One. And how many do you want? I'm, I'm saving room for this supposed 12-foot scarecrow because it fits right inside our motif. So. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I think that is the new thing coming this year. So David has one. Steve, you you shook your head. You don't have any? No, but I, I shoot, I'd take as many as somebody wants to give me. They're expensive. <laughs> what about you, Michael? I, I have my 12-foot skeleton in the, in the maze, and then I have my 12-foot pumpkin out front. Uh -huh. Awesome. Ooh, nice. Pumpkin. Very nice. Does, does anybody have the uh, the giant uh, lumberjack werewolf that came out last year? That's my personal favorite. I don't know why yes. the werewolf had to wear yes, flannel we, and jeans, but he did. Yep. <laughs> yep. We we actually got him, and we didn't like the shiny plastic exterior, so we actually ordered some faux fur, and we just covered him. <laughs> oh, nice! Wow. Was that the one oh, from Nards? 
there was a giant, some kind of werewolf thing from Menards last year. Huge. I don't remember what it was. I think of werewolf. I, I didn't see that one. I think it was Home Cheapo, which had the werewolf. Uh, yeah, Menards, had, Menards had one. Yeah, Menards yeah. had one, but it's it's one that actually Home Depot used to have. And okay. Menards okay. had it this year. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I so want to make a joke about Wolfman and Menards. <laughs> For those who've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. But I won't make that joke because it is it is almost time to wrap up here. Uh, my final question is regarding the charities. How do your charities stack up against other types? Uh, or I should say, how do your haunts stack up or reputation? How is your reputation for that charity? I mean, do people say, oh, you know, we have, we have these donors, we have these donors, we have this haunted house that donates, we have this fire department that donates. You know, how are you guys looked at? I know charities, as a rule, basically try not to turn down anything that they get because, you know, people need it. But have you ever had an issue either maybe going to a, a somebody that rejected you as because you were a haunted house before you found the charity that you're actually working with? I'll jump in. Um, we, we were fortunate. Honestly, there wasn't a lot of drama. Um, it, we had, um, and, and honestly, I don't know if we're done with just hope clinic. Uh, one thing that's, and I don't really know how to attack it, but one thing that's caught my attention, uh, is just the, the mental health of our veterans. You know, I've just seen some, some things that really kind of break my heart. And, um, I, I want to do our try to formulate something, even if it means getting people to kind of join in kind of a la, you know, don't be a monster or uh, hunters against hate. Um, I just would love to see some support for the veterans. So that's one thing I would love to kind of add into what we're doing. Uh, but we were fortunate, you know, hope clinic, it was just kind of a match made. We got in there, talked to them. They were super supportive and it was, I know it doesn't always work that way, but we were fortunate. So Maybe if you get into the cash donations, maybe the cash donations can go towards the veterans programs while the food and hygiene products continue to go towards Hope Clinic. And you could even have separate, if you wish to donate towards the veterans, this box. You want to donate for Hope Clinic, this box. And, and you might see, you might be, the, the, uh, the results may be very surprising. Maybe more people want to support the clinic. Maybe more people want to support the veterans. Who can say? And you can also, you can always, uh, you know, work with other groups and stuff and, and, and work with different ideas too, because you do have the whole year. So like, if you do want to do something with veterans, you know, possibly working with a local VFW to have a fundraising dinner or even a wrap dinner in early November for everybody who worked with your event and, you know, the other charities ago, you know, someplace like that would work and anything you raise funds for that one could go that night. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's the other thing too, is, you know, Halloween, we keep seeing expanding the halfway to Halloween, moving further and further out and that type of stuff. I think, you know, you, you home haunts are going to start seeing opportunities to do something, to do your 4th of July haunted barbecue and, you know, get some money and get some interest locally with it. And that's how you can both promote yourself and, uh, maybe raise a couple extra dollars for these wonderful charities. And that's the best thing about home haunts. You guys can really support some neat 
local small charities and things. You know, people like to support stuff. They'll do the big cancer walks and stuff. But some of that is so big, you have to have X amount of commitment to it and almost be your own corporation to, you know, just get an entry in a marathon or something. But, you know, you do a haunt and you raise a couple hundred dollars. That can mean a lot to a small animal shelter or, you know, a, a small, very niche charity that does a lot of great work in your community where it be for veterans or for families in need or for the elderly or anything. I mean, you know, just even, you know, redoing playgrounds and that type of thing. And local media eats that stuff up because they're always looking for human interest stories to uh, offset the other news that, you know, that's out there. So, you know, oh, hey, we're doing a we're, we're doing a charity event for the local animal shelter. Oh, we'll send somebody out right now. So, and that's your other immense resource now too, is, um, you know, uh, here in the town I'm in Warwick, Rhode Island, the home haunts have been expanding. So you get one good home haunt and then a few more keep coming up and then a few more and a few more. And there's gotta be 20 major, uh, home haunts just in this town and it's spreading out more and more. So each year now, people on social media are looking for the Channel 10 rundown of all the haunted attractions in the area. You know, what street they're on, when they're uh, starting their display. And people are looking for it more and more and sharing it by social media. And, you know, if you have a charity with it, you end up being the one that gets the news clip out in front of you. You're the one that gets the uh, first billing in the picture in the online article uh, listing all of them. I mean, uh, the thing I would love to see is if you have a lot of home haunts area, see if somebody would work and sponsor a map so that people knew which ones to hit what time and, and, and which route. I always have trouble trying to figure that out. So I'm not going back and forth everywhere. Oh, I got to find the house of a thousand jack-o'-lanterns and then get over to the asylum and, and, you know, make sure that the, you know, the traffic and everything works. I'm not backtracking and using $50 of gas. Any final questions? If not, folks, we want to thank our very special guests for not only working with home haunts, creating spooky stuff for your neighborhoods, but also supporting very good causes. And this is the part of the show we like to call the plugs. So we are asking our guests not only to talk about their own home haunts, if they have a social media page or a website to plug that, but tell us where we can get information about the various charities that you support we want to find out, you know, if, if they take donations, you know, on their website or anything like that, where can people get more information? Uh, let's start with David. David, tell us about where people can find more information about Haunt at the Roxbury, pictures, videos, etc., and also about the Hope Clinic. Okay, awesome. Um, well, we've got several different mediums. I'll start off with Hope Clinic. Hope Clinic has a website, um, hopeclinic.org. Um, and we've usually, I think on some of our, our, um, social medias, there's information on them as well, uh, that you can reach out to as far as us, we're on Instagram, uh, at Roxbury underscore hunters. Uh, we're also on TikTok, we haunt you. And we are also on Facebook under haunt at the Roxbury. Um, and we have a website that's kind of chewed down and real simple, but it just gets the information out. And that's night at the Roxbury house.com. 
Uh, so those are a few different mediums. And uh, yes, I do believe Hope does do online donations as well as um, they'll also take donations for food as well at any point in time. They're always asking for it. Have you ever thought about getting Chris Katana and Will Ferrell to come out and do an appearance in costume and play the music and, and do all the dancing and everything? I would love that. I would, <laughs> I'd fall over dead. I'd love it. <laughs> well, reach out to them. Maybe, maybe they have a Twitter page that, you know, verified or something. And maybe who knows what would happen because that would be just, I, I would pay good money to see that. Or, um, or at very least, David, get a couple of lookalikes, zombify them and have them out there front dancing. That would be fun. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, Michael, tell us a little bit about Nightmare Haunted House, where the social media is and everything. And also tell us about Shorewood Hugs. Where can people get more information, donate if necessary, and how they can do that? Sure. Well, on Facebook for the Nightmare Haunted House, it's just the Nightmare Haunted House on Facebook. Uh, we do not have a website. On Instagram and YouTube, it's Nightmares31. Uh, for short, Hugs, they have a website, Facebook. I don't know if they have an Instagram, but for Facebook, it's just Shorewood Hugs. And then their website is shorewoodhugs.org. Uh, Short, sweet, and to the point. Do they take donations online? Do you, are you aware? Yep, they do. You can go right on their website. You can see uh, they also show all their um, uh, wishes that they have completed. So you can you know find out a little more about Shorewood Hugs. And there is a big donation button where you can go donate online. Uh, Steve, tell us about the Dark Corners Manor and uh, how people can get more information about that. And maybe if you are a local charity in the Louisville, Kentucky area and might want to form a partnership, how can they get more information and get a hold of you? Nice and easy. Since we're just starting out, it's Dark Corners Manor on Facebook. And at this point, that's all we have. <laughs> so keep you posted. Dark Corners Manor. So we will look for that. And again, hopefully you will find a charity to your liking that you feel will benefit both parties. And of course, we want to hear about it. So please send that information to us when you do have something nailed down. But folks, again, we always ask you to support your local haunts. Again, support your local home haunters, especially if they have a charity aspect to them. They do a lot of good in the communities that they are located in. And beyond, whether you're supporting United Way, Wounded Warriors, or even your local animal shelter or dog pound, consider donating. You know, it may be May, but I'm sure they could use the help now. But we definitely want to thank these guys again. You know, great work that they do. We cannot do this without fantastic guests, Michael Peters, David Jones, and Steve Stelton as well as our regular hosts, including Storm. You know, the way things have been going for Saturday Night Live recently, you could probably get them to film the whole show at your home haunt one night this year. <laughs> the sometimes silent but never less important Meat Hook Jim. I was just going to say, even though I was not very verbal, I was absorbing a lot of what was going on, and I respect all of you guys for what you do, and uh, hopefully you guys will keep doing it. We also want to thank the old crone, a.k.a. Jonna. Well, I just want to know who is going to make Storm's dreams come true and do the first Arbor Day home haunt. Well, uh, uh, anybody who did one for Halfway Halloween, apparently. <laughs> <laughs>
Arbor Day was on the 29th this year. It was right there. Perfect. It, it, they just need to start advertising as such. My name is they Drew don't. Badger in Charlotte, North Carolina. And for all our home haunters here, I just want to ask him the question. Have you guys ever thought about putting a pallet in the ground, putting a red light underneath it and sticking hands out of it? Because I think that's probably the scariest thing that you could have at a home haunt. <laughs> this is the round table of terror here on the big scary show. You know, I'm going to get my Arbor Day haunt when Home Depot does the 12 foot giant tree. Ooh. <laughs> I am Groot. I am the Brute. There you go. Root, G-R-O-O-T. Right. Or brute or ghoul or something. We'll, we'll come up with some catchphrase. Badger. No, we don't want that. Badger's still stuck on Monster Squad. Yeah. Wolfman. I really, I really wanted to make a Menards Wolfman joke. God. <laughs> That's okay. Hi, my name is Michael Peters from the Nightmare Haunted House in Minooka, Illinois, and you are listening to The Big Scary Show. Passion is what drives us. The passion to be the best. For over 10 years, that passion has taken us from eBay to becoming the driving force in the haunted house industry. And we are just getting started. Flex props to nine foot giants. Great details, great looks, and great pricing is the foundation we are built on. Our heart beats Halloween and haunts. We are a creepy collection. Let us deliver our passion to your haunted attraction this season. CreepyCollection.com. Now that's creepy. The Davises have had a baby but they're not sending out any announcements. Most new parents are a little scared when they have a baby. The Davises are terrified. You see, there's only one thing wrong with the Davis baby. It's alive. It's alive. Don't see it alone. Please. Rated PG. Broadcasting to you from the darkest regions of the earth. This is a Haunt Minute. And now, with this week's commentary, Storm. Alright, so, you know, over the past 18 months, I really have been living under a rock at some point. So I've missed some of the news and things coming through. And some of that has been the um, happenings with this new Haunted Mansion movie. Yes, based on the awesome Disney ride, the Haunted Mansion. Uh, a new updated one uh, 
seems to look a lot better than the Eddie Murphy one. It's not going to be as campy. It looks a little dark, but also funny. A lot of throwbacks to the ride. You should do it in a neat way. And uh, I didn't really see who's starring in it or see much news that's going on with it. But boy, did I see some this week, and it's rather interesting because they revealed um, who is the actor playing the infamous and fan-favorite Hatbox Ghost. Oh my, who could it be? Well, none none other than Hollywood's favorite furry, Jared Leto. Uh, Yeah, I know. You know, anybody who's, you know, comic book fans and DC fans are just, you know, scared now. Is Is the Hatbox Ghost going to get the new Joker treatment? Are we, you know, he's going to shave off the hair and switch the hat for the uh, top hat for a derby or something? God knows. Um, God knows what Jared Leto did, you know, to prepare for the role because he's one of those actors that really throws himself into the role and, you know, gets all creepy about it and freaks people out and stuff too. Like, you know, walking around a set like the hat box ghost. Uh, you know, I wouldn't put him by him, but try and put his head in a hat box. He's, you know, Jared Leto. But it does go to say some for haunts because I, I saw the um, trailer and it looks good. It looks decent. It doesn't look like that they did anything to really goof up the character. It actually looks good, and Jared Leto might actually be really good with it, uh, just from the couple of seconds that you see. So hopefully. But this also goes with haunts. You know, you, you do always have the one or two super diva actors, and you know, you're you're like, why do I put up with these? Uh, people sometimes, but they can deliver that one-of-a-kind, just epic performance every once in a while, and so we're hoping it for this one. So don't forget, as you're dealing with your actors this season, don't let yourself get burned out, and you know, even the divas might bring something super special to your haunt this year. And until next time, keep every minute scary. Tune in next episode for another Haunt Minute. Hi, this is Josh Gates from Travel Channel's Expedition Unknown, reminding you to send all hate mail to storm at bigscaryshow.com. I've been standing there for centuries. <laughs> yes, I suppose it seemed... Why, it's raining, but you're not wet. No, I'm not, am I? Uh, where are you coming from? I was watching a wonderfully terrifying double feature movie. I was a teenage Frankenstein in Blood of Dracula. Oh? Professor Frankenstein created a teenage monster to bring havoc and terror to all who meet him. But he left a few parts out, particularly in the poor lad's face. Uh, may we change and the subject? And the vampire in Blood of Dracula, quite unfriendly except when hungry, than any friend will do for a few ghastly moments. Please, I... Oh, here's where I must leave you. But there's nothing here but an old cemetery. Yes, I know. I want to meet some old friends here. After you see I was a teenage Frankenstein in Blood of Dracula, you might drop back here. We'll discuss the pictures to some length. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll do that! <laughs> the Graveyard Boulevard, Night America, on The Big Scary Show.
Hello, this is Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett from the Star Wars Saga. And you're listening to The Big Scary Show. <laughs> Ohio Haunted House owners, actors and enthusiasts, join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook. <laughs> it's time for Ask the Old Crone. <laughs> Wow, this is segment five zero for me. Fifty segments. Who would have thought two years ago, whenever I was joining the Big Scary Show, that I had enough to say for fifty segments? Well, let's hope I have enough to say for fifty more. Now, today's segment is not scripted. It's not about anything in particular. It's just me talking from my heart. I want to say thank you to my fellow host on Big Scary Show. Badger, Storm, Meat Hook Jim, and Jerry Vane for allowing me to be part of the Big Scary Show. I have got to meet some amazing people, do some really cool things, and hopefully I have inspired or informed or motivated at least one or two of you. If I have, then that is just my goal. That's the thing that is so wonderful about the haunt community is over a decade ago, I started listening to podcasts, just anything I could to learn more about the industry and and learning everything from marketing to safety, to how to build things, to you name it, music, everything, and to now actually be part of that industry to be able to share that through podcasts, which are amazing. If you're not listening to more podcasts, you definitely should be. But I wanted to just take this time to say thank you to the listeners, to you, to my fellow haunt enthusiasts, fellow haunters, home haunters, scare actors, owners. Thank you for letting me be part of this show and your time. So until next time, don't forget to stir the cauldron, because I think I'm going to whip up a lot of new spells. Enter the haunted world of Fright Find and discover an environment dedicated to promoting your haunt. Target customers who will influence others on attending haunt attractions as Fright Find brings in scream seekers looking for haunted places, events, and accommodations of every sort. Various exposure options give you the ability to reach your audience throughout the year. Don't be afraid. Go to FrightFind.com now to add your haunt for free and see for yourself the difference Fright Find will make in your haunt listing. Hi, my name is Danielle from Wyandotte, um, JC's Haunted House in Wyandotte, Michigan, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. 
virus cycle. Dead hate the living on the big scary show. All the radiation detection stations. At this hour, they report the level of the mysterious radiation continues to increase steadily. So long as this situation remains, government spokesmen warn that dead bodies will continue to be transformed into the flesh-eating movements. All persons who die during this crisis, whatever cause, will come back to life to seek human victims unless their bodies are first disposed of by cremation. Search out and destroy the Marathi ghouls. 
shot in the head or a heavy blow to the skull. Officials are quoted as explaining that since the brain of a ghoul has been activated by the radiation, the plan is, kill the brain and you kill the ghoul. up your show need to pump new life into old props just want to show something no one else has do what alice cooper distortions unlimited and a-list haunters all over the world do wear von Karen. durable handcrafted dependable year after year von Karen. when you scare enough to wear the very best von Karen.com. v-o-n C-H-A-R-O-N dot com As we slide back into the swamp where we hid the body, we would like to thank the following sponsors. Screamline Studios Creepy Collection Dark Imaginings Fright Finder Haunt Pay Von Caron Productions and VFX Creates. We'd also like to thank Virgil Franklin, Master of the Ether Muse. And we couldn't do this without the three ghosts, including Badger, Haunt Consulting and More, RabbitBadger.org. Meat Hook Jim, check out his other podcast at WrestleHorror.com. And Storm, Rants and More, 
hotminute.com. And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing. The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves.